Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Strava Craft Coffee is rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-Cups for your Keurig, whole bean, or ground. Purchase online for 20% off using code DNVR20. Order online, it ships to you incredibly fast. You can try it at Carbon Cafe and Bar, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and Max Market. CBD is non-psychoactive, has been known to help long-term migraines, decreasing anxiety, arthritis, IBS, etc. CBD has done wonders for me, and since I've been drinking Strava Craft Coffee, I find myself much less jittery, and I promise you a schedule and lifestyle in where I drink a great deal of coffee. I was starting to feel the effects of it, but CBD has given me a ton more energy and focus with none of the shakes and all of the negative things that come from coffee. So remember to go online, purchase for 20% off using code DNVR20. And go. ball in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or go online to mygreensolution.com. Use that promo code DNVR20 to get 20% off your entire purchase. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And on this episode, we've got a very very special guest, really two of them. Manny Randawa, you all know very well, you love him. Uh, you've at least learned to <laughs> enjoy the debates that he and I get into on this podcast over and over again. I know many of you have read most, if not all, of his book on the Blake Street Bombers. If you haven't yet, you can get it at Amazon, a lot of other places where books are sold. You can, uh, if you're local, you can find an event, and we had one recently, and, and this is what you're going to hear of where Manny will sign that book for you. And so really he became uh, a, a kind of the, the host of this podcast. You're not going to hear a whole ton from me because we had the author of the book there to interview one of the subjects of the book. And I'm talking, of course, about Dante Bichette, one of the all-time Colorado Rockies, both on and off the field, 
a personal favorite for pretty much anybody who rooted for this team uh, when he was a, a member of it, and plenty of people who just know him in hindsight. Dante was incredibly gracious with his time. He was out at spring training during a game, just talking to us on his phone via Skype. So the audio sound quality isn't the absolute best, but I, I was honestly, it came through a little bit more clearly than I thought it was going to. I was a little worried about that. It's going to get a little gravelly and poppy at times. There's a room full of us that get uh, pretty animated and excited a handful of times, but mostly I just wanted to be able to share this conversation uh, with Manny and Dante, also Wayne Hagen. Uh, you'll hear his voice in here, original play-by-play man uh, for the Colorado Rockies. Um, I get into the conversation a little bit. A few other people there who had questions. Thanks to everybody who came out to the baseball museum. I'm going to be doing more and more um, content about the museum to show you what it's like and encourage people to get out there and check it out. They have got all kinds of really cool stuff, including a, a baseball ticket from the 1800s. They got jerseys up for the Bears and the Zephyrs. They got a ton of Babe Ruth stuff. A really, really interesting baseball museum. If you're a, a student of the history of the game, it's one of the best places in Denver you can go, especially if you're already over there by the ballpark. So we'll have pictures and video and all of that stuff out for you very, very soon. In the meantime, uh, kick back with a Colorado core from Breckenridge Brew. It's a cidery time of year. It's an absolutely perfect companion for what you're about to hear. I'll be dropping in. With a few other uh, commercials, there's one point where the uh, computer stopped recording for just a minute, so you'll hear me jump in there and uh, uh, <laughs> hopefully very smoothly transition it to the next part. But in the meantime, hopefully you're drinking some Colorado Core, you're enjoying your Breckenridge brew, and you can sit back, relax, and listen to this conversation with an original Blake Street bomber, Dante Bichette. Looking good. What's happening? All right. So can you can you see us? Yes. I can All right. See very you. good. I'm trouble hearing you. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I should bring this closer. Um, if you have trouble hearing the questions, I can repeat them for you. Okay. Perfect. Um, well, everyone, uh, Dante Bichette. Uh, most of you know him as the should have been 1995 MVP of the National League. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the man who hit the first home run in, Cor in uh, Rockies history and then the walk-off in the first game of Coors Field. Many of you were at that game. Um, it's, uh, you know, in the, in the book, you know, the way I start this, uh, start the, the narrative is um, for the longest time, Denver had um, a lot of baseball, great baseball players who came through here thrilled uh, fans for a couple of years in the minors and then left. Um, and this is a Denver Bears room. This is, this is going to be the exhibit. These are all the Denver Bear jerseys right here through the years and a lot of, um, a lot of important stuff from, the, from Denver baseball history in here. And that's where everything starts because this, this town wanted baseball for such a long time and, and craved it. By the way, Dante, you see who's behind me right here? Go ahead give me again. You see who's behind me here? There's Wayne Hagen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel every day I look in the mirror. <laughs> how are you, Dante? Good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. How you been? Doing well, and be sure and tell the bride I said hello. 
I will. She's actually right around the corner. I'll tell her when, it, when we're done, man. It's good to see you. Oh, it's great to see you, Dante. And I hope that uh, we can hook up in the near future in person together. That would be great. What you doing now? I am doing a lot of speaking engagements. I just did one at the Air Force Academy for their National Character and Leadership Symposium. And I actually talked about the Blake Street Bombers, and I talked about you in particular. Well, thank you. Absolutely. It's really good to hear. I'm glad. You're the best, man. You were one of the most popular Rockies players ever. And it was because yeah. you gave back to the fans. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a pleasure to have you, man. Thanks for doing this again. Can, my voice doesn't project as well. I know. I'll get closer. Um, so uh, in the history of, of baseball in Denver, it dates back to the 18, 1880s, and we finally had a major league team here. We finally got a major league team here in 1993, and we finally had a chance to see who would become the first major league stars in this town. And uh, Dante Bichette, um, Andre Scalaraga, Vinny Castilla, Larry Walker, new Hall of Famer Larry Walker, and, uh, and Ellis Burks became those guys. I mean, if you compare it to Florida, you know, they didn't really have, I mean, they had a couple of guys who were there, but uh, most of them left, and they, they didn't make that, that uh, jump into stardom for, to be able to claim, have their talent claim them as their own, and we have that. So um, with that, I'm just going to get right to it. Um, we're going to do a Q&A. Uh, with you, Dante, and uh, I'll relay the questions. In fact, I'll have I'll have Wayne do it because he's got the broadcast voice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and we'll do we'll do that, and uh, and we'll we'll just take it as it comes. Beautiful. Okay, Dante, I have the first question. Even though I don't deserve to, these are great fans. Tell them how this Blake Street Bombers name yeah, came together, because a lot of people really didn't know the truth. You know. Wayne, it was with me and you were talking. Now, you give me credit, I'm giving you credit. I'm not sure who figured that out, but I remember it was when me and you were talking one night, right? Absolutely, it was. And yeah. Joe, and Joe yeah. Girardi was there. Joe, okay, yeah. But you, you injected some enthusiasm about this, and you could actually foretell what was going to happen in the future because you said all four of you got off to great starts, so... What, what happened is Joe Girardi said, well, what about Boulder Bashers? <laughs> and Dante Ooh. says, no, that's where CU plays. <laughs> and that's when Dante, Dante said to me, what street do we play on? And I said 20th and Blake. And he said something that I can't recall. It wasn't Blake Street Bombers. And then he said Blake Street Bombers. And I said, that's it. Went on the air that night. And at that time, ESPN did the highlights using a lot of radio calls. And so that night I started calling them the Blake Street Bombers. ESPN picked up on it, and that was the rest of it. Now, Woody Page will tell you that he did it in August. <laughs> we did it in May, and it was because of this man right here. That's well, I remember, you know, I what I remember is when we all sat down, is, is and it was real exciting, Jerry McMorris, the... Uh, uh, God bless this soul uh, was the owner at the time and he said guys this is an opportunity for every one of you this is a huge opportunity and I remember taking that to heart man and I think you know I think a lot of us did on that team that year but I'll never forget that meeting we had it's like it's new here you guys are the first ones and this is an incredible opportunity to uh, to just you know make history I guess <laughs> which you did 
And I, and I will say that, and I will say that, um, and, it, and it's in the book, but a lot of these, uh, most of these guys were um, kind of unknowns because of uh, either injury or lack of playing time. And uh, when they got here, there we go. There we go. Even more now. And when they got here, they got their chance. And let's start with that. Let's start with Don Baylor um, and your relationship with Don um, in terms of, uh, how that started, how he meant so much in your professional life, but also in your personal life, and then how he how he got you here, and you were the guy he wanted, and then that led to everything. It's all in the book. That was good. That was good. Keep showing the book, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I played with I played for Don. He was my hitting coach in in Milwaukee, and. And he and he came to me one day. He says, "When you figure this out, you can run this league." And I was a part-time player. And at the time, I didn't really. Hang on. Somebody At the time, I'm not sure I really believed in myself. You're you're fine. <laughs> Our apologies for the one technical difficulty experienced during this. Unfortunately, uh, we missed the story here that Dante told uh, about going home one evening and being incredibly tired and telling his wife that he just didn't think there was any way he could play the next day. And then he showed up and it turns out Don Baylor had him out of the lineup. He was wondering if his wife gave him a call, if maybe that's just how in tune uh, he was with Don Baylor. We'll, We'll hear a lot more about Don, though, when we get back into it, first, I've got to mention that if you head over to Bojo's and mention DNVR, you're going to get a free honey cheese bread with purchase of an entree. They've got six Colorado locations. This offer is good at all of them, or they can do DoorDash and deliver it directly to you. It's made fresh daily, contains locally sourced honey. It's really delicious. Plus, they can offer gluten free, cheeseless and plant based options. They've got you set. They've got a salad bar. We've got the big TVs for watching sports. There's really no better place to hang out, take in a pizza and a true Colorado, Colorado mountain pie than Bojo's. So remember to mention DMVR and get that free honey cheese bread with purchase of an entree. Let's jump back into our conversation kind of abruptly here with Dante Bichette. Fastball, then, <laughs> then I know you probably need a day off. But he was an awesome guy, and, and, and the reason I got an opportunity for sure. And may okay. I may I just inject one thing that this this is what Dante thought of Don Baylor in 1995 when they won the wild card. I said, "Who do you think?" Now this guy should have been the MVP of the National League. That's true. But when I asked him, "Who do you think is the MVP of the Rockies?" He goes, "Number 25." I remember you said that to me about Don Baylor. He was the MVP. Yeah, he was awesome. Unbelievable. Most underrated manager, you know. He handled the pitching staff that year in 95, even though that playoffs didn't go well. that He got the most out of that pitching staff that I think any Rocky pitching staff's ever gotten out of the staff. It's awesome. And tell us, Dante, about uh, Gold's Gym, will you? <laughs> Gold's Gym. And- <laughs> Behind the Green Monster, Fenway Park. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Another Don Baylor story. Um, I go over after batting practice, and I'm working out. In the, I walk into the gym, and this girl walks in in front of me, and and 
And I say, if she looks that good when she turns around, I'm in love. <laughs> she turned around, I fell in love, but I was too scared to ask her out. So I, I didn't ask her out. I left after my workout and went back to, to the clubhouse and told Don Baylor, I said, man, I just met a girl I could marry. He goes, did you ask her out? And I said, no, I was too scared. He made me. He made me go back to the clubhouse and ask her out or go back to the Gold's Gym and ask her out. And that girl I married and I'm still married to. I have two kids, but so, yeah. yeah. He, he would, boy, I'll tell you what, that guy was uh, a big part of my life. Now that you keep, keep saying it. Well, I'll tell you what, um, let's, let's take it here. Let's go to... Um, Shea Stadium, um, game number two. Uh, and you um, you were hit by a pitch the day before uh, by Doc Gooden, and uh, yeah. you didn't know if you're going to be in the lineup. But there you were, and you made you began your run of making history for this franchise. Uh, when did it hit you uh, that that was it? That was the first home run and first run scored. You know, I think we are all knew that everything was a first, so we were all trying to hit that one. Uh, I yeah, I want to say Galarraga might have got the first hit. Am yeah. I wrong? No, that's right. Yeah, that's right, the right? The yeah. day before off Doc Good. Yep. And Doc, and I got the first hit by pitch, which did not feel good. And I didn't think I was going to be able to play. Because you remember Doc Good could throw pretty yeah. good. Oh, yeah. And he hit me on the hand, and our training crew was so awesome, man. They were heat ice, heat ice, heat ice. And somehow, I didn't think there was any chance. Somehow, I was able to to get in that lineup the next day and uh, hit the home run off Brett Saberhagen, who's, you know, he's one of the best pitchers in the game at the time. And it was, it was, uh, it was a great start. I mean, that was, that was cool. And I think I still got that bat somewhere. Oh, that's Actually, awesome. that bat is in the Hall of Fame. That bat is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's cool. That's right. Hey, listen, um, I'm, I'm kind of skipping around here, but uh, we can't, we can't do this without talking about Frank Cacciatore and, uh, and uh, when, 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 uh, you, you went to the, the uh, West Palm Beach Community College, and uh, you were out of high school, and you had done a, tr- a Dodgers tryout. Uh, maybe you can tell us about that too, because that was fun. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then after that, um, you know, there was a little bit of deception in getting you on the field, but at, it worked out. Yes. Um, you now you're talking about the junior college where yeah. I walked on, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so. I, I'm out of I'm out of high school. I actually missed too many days. Got got kicked off the team. wasn't a bad kid, but uh, actually not kicked off the team. I was kind of uh, suspended from school because I missed too many days of school. So I was uh, I didn't. It was my senior year. I had nowhere to go, and and uh, my my little league coach, a guy named Honda Wilkes, who just passed away. He's kind of my Mr. Miyagi, you know, of the Karate Kid. You know, he was my guy. He, he takes me to the college, the local junior college, and says, goes up to the coach, says, hey, we got a kid here who wants to try out. And the coach said, coach said, well, we already had tryouts. We really have a spot unless he's a catcher. Uh, and uh, my little league coach looks at him and said, that's what he is. He's a catcher. And I'm like, I never <laughs> caught a day in my life. You know, this is junior college baseball. This is good baseball here in Florida, you know. And uh, so he said, all right, I'll tell you what, you, you come tomorrow morning at 4.30 a.m. And we'll see if, if you want to play ball. Well, 4.30 a.m. is they were having hell week. So I showed up the next day and, and, and fast forward, you know, 30 years. There's no way he thought I was showing up the next day. But I was there at 4.30 a.m. 
and I ran about 10, 15 miles, okay, at 4.30 a.m. So he said, all right, you're serious. You want to try out. And he, he, he invited me back. They were having an inter-squad game that night. And I'm catching in the game. And I'm running back to the backstop because I can't catch anything. Never caught before. It's just, it's rough. And, but I got two at-bats, one off their number one pitcher. First pitch he threw me, I hit, I hit about one of the hardest balls I've ever hit, right at the left fielder, and he caught it. And then the next at-bat, I hit uh, one of their better pitchers. I hit a ball that disappeared into the darkness, kind of like a Coors Field shot, man. And they still talk about that ball till this day. And, uh, over the light you know, tower, right? That's a big deal. Like, over the light tower, landed in the racquetball court now. He landed in the racquetball courts, right. and they still talk about that ball. And and I thought, you know, for sure I was going to, you know, he's not going to want me because I can't catch. But after the game, he came up to me. He goes, son, you're not a catcher. And then I'm like, you know, I kind of dropped my head. And he goes, but, man, we love how you hit. We're going to keep you anyway. So that was a great story. That was my opportunity. Um, and, and with that, now we got now we see Bo. And we see the incredible player that he's becoming. Well, he is, but is also becoming. And um, set records last year uh, when he came up with the Blue Jays. And he is, um, I think people are just now starting to really find out how good of a coach, hitting coach you are. Because we're seeing Bo, and, and he's getting all the attention, because, rightfully so. But um, how, how, how different is it with his experience being groomed in this with, with you as his dad versus you where your parents supported you but they were baseball people so you kind of basically got to the big leagues on nothing more than hand-eye coordination and raw power yeah you know i became a when i became a student of hitting that's when it kind of took off for me but it took a while bo had no choice (laughs) he kind of grew up in it so that's why he's in the big leagues at 21 years old and it took me until you know, at 29 to figure it out. He's a starter at 21. He's figured it out a lot. And he's just, I think he's going to be a lot better than I was. But, um, yeah, it, it's its a—it's two different lives because, I, you know, I, I've got a rubber arm. And my knees hurt, my back hurts, but my arm, I can throw batting practice forever. And, and he's taking, taking advantage of it. I, I, you know, I'm in the cage with him pretty much every day all offseason. And he prepares hard and he loves it. He's been a student of the game now and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully has a long career. <laughs> so Dante, Dante came up with the Angels uh, in uh, 1988, and uh, then was traded to the Brewers before. Uh, and his hitting coach with the Brewers um, uh, was Don Baylor, and so that's when he told him that uh, you know he could run this league if he once he started figuring it out. And once uh, he came to Colorado, things took off. But does anybody have any questions about Dante's pre-Rockies life at this point? Do you, or should we just go on? Anybody have any questions? Yeah. Um, I'd like to know if Dante uh, knew any of the other players. Any of the Jackson at the Rockies? No. If he knew before. Did you know any of the Rockies, bef- um, player-wise, uh, before you uh, before you got here? No, I I don't think I knew any of them actually. Wow. I knew of them and played against them. I cannot wow. tell you that I knew any of them personally. No. Um, wasn't Don a- Baylor was the only one. Wasn't it Brent Smith that said everybody had to put their names on the oh, name yeah. tag? Yeah. Might have been, yeah. I thought I it was Brent Smith. <laughs> it was a weird experience because usually you go to Big League Camp and there's some kind of established something, you know, and, and just everybody was new and it was exciting. And it, 
and that year was a blast because you remember we were getting eighty thousand, sixty thousand every night. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. crazy. I don't think there's ever been anything like it. No. Uh, yeah, unprecedented, right? And I talked to Larry about it because he was in the building. On the expos. Hey, there um, he is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 sunshine. Hey, um, no, I. I Not much I, of a cameraman. That's right. <laughs> I asked. Uh, I asked Larry about it because he was injured, but he was in. He was in the ballpark on uh, opening day, in '93, and uh, because you guys were playing the expos, and he said I was really upset, particularly with that injury, because I couldn't play in front of 80,000 people, and this is something that probably never happened to me again. And uh, what was what, what was the? I mean, I've heard fans talk about the electricity. In this town, what was it like from your perspective? Oh, it was crazy. I mean, it was not. It was like nothing you've I've ever experienced before. Eighty thousand. We could do no wrong at that point, of course, you know, because it was all new and nothing was expected. So, for a good three years, I would say three, four years, it was like that. But the open, the first year, was just different. It was, it was just different. I remember. I remember opening day, I looked up and it was a blue sky, not not a cloud in the sky. And that's, that's my boy right there. Not a cloud in the sky. And I looked up and there was this plane carrying a banner behind it. It said, Dante, hit this one free butt for everybody. I was like, man, I'm going to like this place. Um. <laughs> you became you, you came into your own and uh, 94 and 95 unfortunately there was a strike in between the two finest years of your career really um, that off season was difficult for you for a number of reasons um, maybe you can tell us about that and then also um, how much it meant to you to open the ballpark as you did in such a crazy game and uh, on opening night in 95. Yeah, that was a tough offseason because of all that going on. And you're right. It, it, the best two years of my career were kind of strike short, which is a bummer because in 95, I really would have liked to see if I could have hit three, uh, 50 homers. Yeah, because I felt, I mean, uh, Wayne remembers, man, I hit 27 in the second half. So, I mean, I was hitting one pretty regular in the second half. So, uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And then, and then you know, they signed Larry Walker in the offseason. He was going to play right field. And I wasn't – I was – I was a last minute thing, you know, they didn't, they weren't going to, they were trying to sign me, uh, but it just wasn't working out. And at the last minute, Don Baylor called me and he says, listen, I don't care what they say. I want you on this team. All right. I know it sucks, but I want you on this team. And I did not hesitate. I got on the next plane and flew there. I said, that's fine because listen, I'm not playing at all if it wasn't for that guy. So, um, yeah, it was tough. And then the opening night when I hit the walk-off home run, it might not be a big deal for a lot of people. That was a big deal for me. And I, I, I ran around the bases, ran up in the clubhouse. I don't think I stopped running. I felt like Forrest Gump for a while. <laughs> I mean, that was a huge night for me. And every spring training, or right when spring training, opening day starts, you know, ESPN or MLB, they'll show that on TV because there's not a lot of opening day walk-off home runs. But when they show that, I always get a, about 10 or 15 texts from, from people all over the place. Hey, you just hit a walk-off on TV. So it's resounding. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many of you were there? I was there. One, two, Yay. three, four. Well, you were there. Uh, we, have a, we, have, we have some a couple of special people here who, um, one of them um, 
was at the game and her daughter was in her stomach, but her daughter's here now. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> she, there she is. Um, but we have a handful you of people. You still look young enough, so that's good. <laughs> I'm afraid you're gonna look old. <laughs> she was a Rocky. She was a Rockies fan from uh, literally from the womb, right? Yes. So um, we had a we had a few people here. Um, we have a few people here who were there in the freezing temps. I think 43 players were using that game, and uh, what an incredible, you know, incredible ball game that was. But um, does anybody have questions no. about that game in particular and that opening night? Everybody's shy. I do. Just, you know, I wait until last. Wait until last. 11-9, final score. Did you think it was going to be like that every game at Coors Field those first couple of years? <laughs> I didn't know what to think. We knew. We knew. We knew. We were told, listen, this is going to be an airy offensive place. Um, so, so, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody realized it was going to be a lot of fun. I still think it's a great place to play baseball. I don't care. You know, I just think it's a great place to play. And especially at Blake Street Bombers, man, because you were never, you could never have a big enough lead with us. And we knew it. That was the thing. We knew it. We were, we never sweated, man. You could be up six runs going in around the sixth, seventh inning. And we were like, oh, we're going to get you. You know what Joe told, Joe Girardi told me about that when I asked him about that? He said, uh, about the last game of the season, which we'll talk about now in 95, when you guys were going for the wild card spot, um, he said 8-2 uh, to two in the fourth, that's 2-1. to one. <laughs> and, and, um, and he also told, I haven't, I, haven't talk, I haven't been talked to you about our conversation, me and, me and Joe, but um, it's in the book now, I don't know if you've gotten to it, but he said that um, you guys were such a strange couple, a strange pair, that, um, you know, he said, he said, here's how we can illustrate it for you. He said... He said, um, one, one weekend. Hang on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right? I didn't hear that. All right. Give it well, to me. All right. So, so Joe said, here's how I'll illustrate our, our friendship for you. He said, he said when, uh, when, I, when I went with my wife to stay with Dante and Mariana, uh, the first time we went to stay with them, all we ate was uh, pizza and chocolate chip cookies. Or, or No, sorry, sushi and chocolate chip cookies all weekend. <laughs> And he had never had sushi before. Right. Had never had sushi before. But that last game in 1995 against the Giants, you guys get down eight to two early. Um, uh, tell tell us about you know how it felt for you guys and whether how confident you remain because of your offense in that park and the bullpen. Yeah, it, yeah, it was, and I think it was it was a, it, you're right. It was a combination of both. Our bullpen was so tough. We knew we had a shot there. Uh, I can tell you personally, I was not feeling great that game. I had felt good all up until that game. I got jammed a couple times. It was Lighter, right, in that game? Yeah, Mark Lighter. Lighter was in that game, and he was running in on my hands, so I didn't feel good. But I got a couple, you know, clutch hits in that game, and 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 I know we, we came back and, and got him. And, and all I can really remember is how high Curtis was getting. You know. What did you guys That's do after? What I really remember. What did you and Larry do afterwards? Oh yeah, me and Larry, we were up yeah. on the top deck of the stadium on the roof. There's a little deck up there, and we were, and people were down below in a crowd, and we were like signing all our clothes and throwing them out. <laughs> <laughs> we had left on. Yeah. 
You know, did you see the picture of that? Did you see the picture of that in the book? It's in the back. It's toward the end. It's. A, oh, I got. No a, I got a picture of it. Yeah, it's in there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's um, great. You, whenever you guys have questions, just raise your hand. Yes. Well, I was just curious, Dante. As the Break Street Bombers are growing, the myth of all of them are coming about. Was there a lot of camaraderie or competition among you as home run hitters? What sort of relationship did you have on the team as you're all gaining these numbers of home runs? We had, it was fun. Yeah, we 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 did have a competition uh, of who hit the most home runs and, 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 and in batting practice, who hit the longest home runs. Okay. And uh, it was fun. I remember the year I hit 40, the rest of them hit 30. And then the year, then the next year I hit 30 and the rest of them hit 40. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then Larry almost hit 50, so he right. trying to embarrass all of us. But um, it was fun. Yeah, we put the we put the bombers in the last group. And uh, in, in, in right when the visiting pitching staff had to stretch right by the batting cage. So, so all the pitchers on the visiting team had to watch us do this home run thing in BP. And uh, it could be quite intimidating. I think I think that was half the battle when they came to Coors Field. No, you okay. Ey told me you guys didn't let them in to your group. <laughs> What's that? You told me you didn't let you guys you, you guys didn't let them in to your group, your BP group. Yeah, no, no, Ey could hit in our group. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he he could talk he could talk enough, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. took the scariest round of BP? Right now? The scariest round of batting practice. You know what? Uh, I think I'll, early on, I I think they'd all. I would. I hit the farthest balls in, of all of them. But for some reason, I think when I when I had my knee surgery, I lost a lot of weight, and I think after that, Galarraga would hit the farthest balls of all of them. Vinny never hit the longest ball, but Vinny was the best fastball hitter. I tell you this about us. That's why we were so good. Vinny was the best fastball hitter on the team. Okay, great story. Uh, you remember Billy Wagner threw 100? Vinny yeah. comes in. He throws Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner throws him a 100-mile-hour fastball. He hits a dead center in the Astrodome. They all interview Billy Wagner. Hey, what, you know, why would you throw him a fastball? He's the best fastball hitter in the league. And, and Billy Wagner says, I throw 100. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, I face, he said, if I face him tomorrow night, I'm going to throw the same pitch. Well, he faced him the next night, he threw the same pitch, and he hit it in the same spot. <laughs> he was just the greatest fastball hitter ever. And uh, Galarraga, in my opinion, was one of the greatest curveball hitters. If you looked at his highlight reel, he would consistently lean out and hit that breaking ball. He very rarely ever hit a fastball for a home run, and a lot of people never caught on to that because he had such an open stance that when he strode close, he would lean out on that breaking ball and, and kill it. And then I was, if you remember me, I was really a really good two-strike hitter. That was kind of my thing. I hit with two strikes. <laughs> and then Larry was just kind of a great hitter. <laughs> so, that guy was pretty good. <laughs> one of us, one, at one point in the night, we're going to get you. No matter what style of pitcher you were, one of us had a, an answer for you. So that was fun. The 1995 National League Division Series, um, you guys were the first wild card team. You guys had to play none other than the team of the 90s in the, in the National League, the Braves. Um, and it was weird because it was 2-3 then, so they had to come to Coors for the first two and then go 
back to Atlanta for the last uh, potentially three. John Smoltz told me, and it's in the book, he said, we were scared to death because we knew that we're going into this crazy city that is, is rabid about baseball, new ballpark, electricity galore. He said it was like Atlanta in 91, you know, when they first went to the uh, World Series. And um, you guys, and I try to make this clear in the book, you guys were right there. I mean, you guys were basically... A couple of bounces different. The ball bounces differently a couple of times, as they say, game of inches. You guys are going up 2-0 to Atlanta. Um, what do you remember most about that series? And please uh, take us through the Greg Maddox at bat, which is one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I remember most is how much of a bummer it is when it was all over because I really feel like we – we really had a chance to win that World Series, and nobody can nobody thought we did, but we did, and uh, and that we did. And, you know, and you're right; it was just a it was a it was one hit with a bases loaded, or just something here, and it, and it could have blown it open. We could have won there. Um, it, I remember how intense it was. I remember how locked in I was able to get because you hit 583, right? Yeah, I, I got. I mean, I was, I was so locked in. It was just. That's good. I mean, and that's the best pitching staff I've ever assembled. Yeah. If you, and, I'll say, and I'll say this at this juncture. Dante, if you go back and look at his numbers against Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, they're incredible. And in that series against the best pitching staff of the 1990s, he hit 583 in the NLDS, including an incredible home run given the circumstances. Yeah, Greg, Greg Maddox. It, I still, you know, I use that as a teaching tool on – on, on hitting for some of these young kids because it was the best piece of hitting I'd ever done. I, uh, it was Greg Maddox. He first pitch he threw me was inside about three or four inches and he got the call strike one, which he, he got a lot of calls. We know strike one zone was big for those Braves. And I looked back and said something to the umpire, like, come on, you know, uh, you know, that's a ball or it wasn't that nice. I promise you. But, uh, <laughs> but I, then I thought in my head, I said, I said, if he throws that ball in there again, he, he did that for two, one, one of two reasons. He threw it in there because either he thinks I can't hit it or he's trying to set up that breaking ball in the outside corner, trying to speed me up so I get fooled on that breaking ball in the outside corner. And then I thought, well, if he threw it in there thinking I can't hit it, he's right. I probably can't hit that pitch, especially four inches off. off. I just don't think I can keep it fair, you know. Uh, so I said, well, now if he's setting it up for a breaking ball off the corner, now I can jump out and hit that, and I and then I thought one more. I had one more thought before I said, "All right, I'm looking breaking ball." I said, "Wait a second, this is Greg Maddox. He's not throwing it on the corner. He's throwing it four inches off the corner, four inches below the knees, and the umpire is going to call it a strike." So, <laughs> so that's what I was looking for. I was looking for that pitch four inches off, four inches on the knees. He threw it there. Whack! I hit it out to right field, and it was literally the best piece of hitting I had ever done in my life. And and it's a great teaching tool, and I, I take them through, and I'll show them the video of that. And it's I'm it's about really to neat. do that right now, if you don't mind. I'm going to show these guys the video, because <laughs> yeah, that was absolutely. too good. That was too good not to. I don't know if you, I don't think you'll be able to see it, but I will. Uh, I'm going to show. Go it. away. Yeah, we'll <laughs> be right back. We'll be right back. Here we go. Okay. Still in the corner. He's still there. He's still there. He's in the. He's in the corner. You can tell I have a kid because my YouTube comes up. You can tell I like baseball. You can tell I have a kid because I got frozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. 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 All right. Here we go. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Here we go. Nineteen ninety-five. I just want them to see how perfect the pitch was in your, in terms of where it was going to hit in your mind and where it was, because that's one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard in terms of you knowing where it was going to be. And here, okay, here it comes. Let's see. Twenty-four inches. And if you get a forgiving umpire, watch where this play. pitch goes. I mean, he's going to work you. Infield double play that. And oh. it's lifted to right field and down into the corner and curling, and it is a fair ball. <laughs> sure, Wayne remembers that. Oh, yeah. Hit it over the wall, obscured from the view of most of the fans here, and just out. And uh, Maddox just had choice words. Greg, Greg, Greg seems perplexed. Yes. Nothing. <laughs> He's, not, he's going he's right in Greg Maddox's face right now. All right, let me get out of here. All right, so, um, yeah, so I just showed him that, and um, we watched Greg Maddox's face, and I know you said you could read his lips. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can read his lips. <laughs> um, that's what Larry said, too. He said the best part of hitting home runs against the Braves was watching Bobby Cox's reactions. <laughs> Um, so that was a great that was a great postseason run. Uh, really, I mean, you never know what would have happened if you guys had gone and played the Reds, and who knows, you guys might have been playing the Indians in the World Series. I mean, John Smoltz said you guy he didn't know which was the better lineup, you or the Indians that year. And if you guys remember the Indians of '95, that's high praise, you know. And so um, it's uh, it was incredible. And um, unfortunately, you guys didn't get back there with the Rockies, but you know, you certainly had a wonderful career even after that. Um, uh, a lot of people around here were scratching their heads at, you know, why, how in the world did Barry Larkin get the MVP award in 1995 over you? Um, and then afterwards, you continue to put up numbers. Um, uh, what was your competition with Ellis Burks in 96, about 30-30? Uh, about oh, you know, there's no real competition, I think. Yeah. Um, he he had he had a chance to get it. I was sitting on twenty nine backs. He was sitting on twenty nine backs. He's on first base. He stole, and I took the ball and let him steal the base. I don't. <laughs> you, were, you were at the plate when that happened. I was at the plate. Yeah, I could have swung and said, "You ain't getting that back." <laughs> but and then they gave an award to the first guy, the first thirty thirty guy ever. And I think I actually got on base and stole the base right behind him. But it was kind of funny. That's good. <laughs> Questions from anybody? Yeah. Okay. Um, we were talking about walk-up songs earlier. Can you go through selecting yours and what it meant to you or fans that you heard stories about? Sledgehammer! <laughs> <laughs> this is funny because my son is actually in the process of trying to get a good walk-up song. But mine kind of came about accidentally. I was watching Dave Parker, and uh, he walked up to Sledgehammer. So I stole that from Dave Parker. Oh. Oh. And uh, I got a, somebody hit a homer, I think. Um, <laughs> let me get under here. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. We're good. Okay, so anyways, he actually carried a sledgehammer on deck when I was a rookie. <laughs> and, I and, 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 it, and they'd play the tune Sledgehammer, and he'd go up to bat. And then I was traded for him. So I felt like when I was traded for him, I get to take his song. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Good deal. Thank you. Um, I've got one. This is, by the way, this is Drew Creaseman of DNVR. Hello. 
probably Good. spoken with you before at some point, but he's got a question for you. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, your reaction to Walker finally getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, if you guys have talked or just how you found out well, uh, what that meant to you. Because it meant to, a lot to everybody here in this room right now. Too. Yeah, I, I got a lot of interviews before that. So I feel like I had something to do with it. Because yeah, right. it was like we almost had to talk these people into voting him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and it shouldn't have been that way. He was a special player. He was a Hall of Famer. So we've talked a little bit. I told him. I told him, I think the text I sent him was, if I could borrow a line from from uh, The Natural, the movie The Natural, you're the best damn ball player I ever saw. Wow. And uh, that's, cool. that's what I told him. And he, he was really thankful. And I, he's, he's become quite a humble guy through this because I, he's just a good guy to talk to, man. And, and uh, I'm glad for him. He was, he was literally the most complete player I ever played with or ever saw play. So de- definitely deserving. Other questions? Dante, I, sorry. Dante, I had a question. I think you're the first batter that I ever uh, heard notice of from the announcers about changing his stance with two strikes. Now, I'm sure you're not the first one to do it, but you're the first one that I heard of. And it's was that something you learned from Don Baylor, or what put you on to doing that? You know, I, I was a big fan of uh, the science of hitting Ted Williams. Mm-hmm. And... Ted Williams actually did a little something. He flattened his bat out. He spread out. He inside out of the ball. And I took it there and, and, and took my stride out and uh, and uh, made it my own thing. And I, if you actually get to see my, my son, Bo, play a little bit, he, he does the same thing. And that's, that's the best part of his game also. So uh, I'm glad I could pass that on to him. But, yeah, that's the only reason I could play in the big leagues was to, to have a real good two-strike approach. You're teaching guys that this right now. We're taking you away from it, but you're teaching, you know, literally because it's happening next door. But you're teaching these guys this. There was an article in the Toronto Sun you guys should check out yesterday uh, about Dante and how, you know, he's trying to keep it on, you know, keep it low key. But, you know, the things that he's teaching, and I talked earlier about how people are just now discovering how great of a coach he is because we're seeing it in Bo. But he is actually um, teaching guys to be all around hitters in an all or nothing era, um, in an era where we're, Three true outcomes, um, and and so you know I wouldn't be surprised. The Blue Jays are exciting because of the, the players they have, but you know get ready to see some of that. Um, would you would you consider if somebody offered it? Would you consider being a hitting coach somewhere again? You know, they I actually have been offered, and oh, okay. I just I can't I can't I can't grind it out, man. I can't do it every day because I get burnout. I usually end up in a batting cage, yeah. but it's on my own terms, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I tried doing the hitting coach with the Rockies in 14, and I knew right off the bat this I just can't grind, especially with two kids playing. You know, it, it would take me away from being able to watch right. them. So I'm actually in a good spot now where I am I can watch Bo and coach his team a little bit, and but not full time. Right now I'm probably over that part of it. But in the offseason, I actually work with a lot of, a lot of pro guys in the offseason. Um, Dante, I just want to say I have got to go. I've got a grandson who's going to be five years of age next month, and I promised him I'd go see him today, but I want to tell these fans with you listening, not only were you a great Rockies baseball player, but you were absolutely one of the guys that seized the opportunity. You loved the fans. You gave as much back to the fans as they gave you, and they gave you a lot of love. And I just want you to know how proud I am to say that I was there to witness what you did 
as a Colorado Rocky. And you're a great man. Mariana is a great woman, and you guys are a great family. So congratulations on a great life so far. A lot more to come. And we'll get you out here. We'll get you out here so we can do something something in person, too. That's awesome. I'd love to come see everybody. And, Wayne, thanks for the kind words. And You had a part of making me that guy. So thank you so much, buddy. You were the best. <laughs> um, so... What, and I know I know you probably are pressed for time. Let me know when you got to cut out. But um, what was it like to meet Ted Williams at the Hitters Hall of Fame in uh, 1996 after your great season? And 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 uh, there were some there were some pretty funny things that happened in terms of how he kind of put you on the spot. Yeah, no, uh, that was might be the coolest thing I've ever done, and I've got it on CD. Uh, our our whole conversation. Uh, and it was amazing. I mean, I'm talking to the greatest hitter that ever lived and might have, might ever will live, you know. And I actually had dinner with him and then had breakfast with him at his house the next day. One on one. And, uh, dude, it was unbelievable. I mean, it, unbelievable. Uh, I, I can't even put it in words, really, because we talked hitting and it was like I was reading the book and, and, and learning all over again. And I felt like a kid, you know. Uh, but uh, he's uh, he was awesome. He, he was awesome. Questions? Okay. Yeah, so that's a related question. So, um, obviously, with with Bo coming up and you having your own career, how is and stuff like uh, launching and XL velocity playing a role? How has hitting philosophy changed from your career to now? Help me out, man. Yeah. Um, so with launch angle and exit velocity and all of the advanced metrics we have now, how has uh, hitting philosophy changed in your eyes? Yeah. Well, you know, we always knew about the launch angle. Now they're trying to teach it. The problem with that is is the pitcher has to throw that pitch. And that's what they've gotten away from. You Pitchers know, rarely uh, throw what you want them to. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you're awesome, buddy. Thank you. Um, the, the, the pitcher, if the pitcher throws a fat pitch, it's, a, it's real easy to get a launch angle on that pitch. Problem is we're trying to create the launch angle with every pitch. And that's why we're getting in problems here. We're, we're chasing the breaking ball off the plate. We're chasing high fastball. We're getting underneath the high fastball, and we're striking out too much. And that's fine. If you want to go for a launch angle early in the count, I did. And try to, you know, hit a home run. You know, I, I try to teach it like this. You got two swings to get your launch angle or hit your homer or do damage. And then you got one swing to beat your opponent and be a team player and get your butt in the lineup tomorrow and get that big hit, you know. So that's that two-strike approach thing that I try to teach. And I try to I try to teach him more, like you say, an all-around game, not just hit a homer or strike out, you know. Um, but it has changed. We've got a lot of information now. The launch angle is definitely a thing. And basically what the launch angle is, is we found out what we always knew, but now the really smart people found out. <laughs> That if you hit the ball at 27 degrees at a 90 or 100 100 uh, miles per hour exit speed, that is going to do a lot of damage. Yeah. <laughs> and Ted, Ted, Ted knew about it in the in the 40s, right? He was he was preaching that launch angle without calling it that. Um, yes, yes. Know, way back Getting then. the ball in the air is something a, a big power hitter has tried to do since the beginning of the game. So, uh, you know, it's nothing new except now they're you know they're writing about it. And they call it, they got real fancy names for it and stuff. But <laughs> um, I'm gonna let you go quick in, in a couple of minutes. But first, uh, I want to ask you about. Um, I want to ask you about um, when you um, signed with the Dodgers in 2000. And, uh, I want to say 2003. 
Danny Evans, and many of you know Dan Evans, who is on the board of Sabre, and he, uh, former GM of the Dodgers, uh, and he actually had Dante sign with him uh, with the Dodgers in his last professional season. Um, and one day, Dante's headed over to spring training. Uh, he's in his car, and he literally pulls off the highway because he had something that he needed to, to figure out. And I'll let you tell him the story. Well, yeah, that's when my oldest one hit his first home run. At, I'm going to say eight years old, he had a home run, and I missed it. And uh, I pulled over, and I thought real hard about it. And I was 38. You know, I was – I could probably still play three or four years. Um Probably not as an everyday guy. I'm not sure, but uh, I decided. I decided I, I I couldn't miss another home run that he hit, and I had to go home at that point. So that's when I went home, and uh, I retired right there on the spot. I actually drove to the park, took two at bats, was thinking about it all day, and uh, just when I walked off the field that day, I said, "That's it. I'm done." And, and you said, "I look back." Yeah, you, you you've said that the coolest thing you've ever done in in your baseball life is taking Dante Jr. to the Little League World Series. Um, you, you, and you guys got there. So, I mean, what was, um, what was that experience like for you? Because what, what, if there's anything we know about you after your career is that you're the baseball dad, and you have been with your guys, and, and we're seeing the fruit of that labor now. But what was that experience like for you with, uh, with the Little League World Series? Well, selfishly, it was my dream when I started. When I, when I really wanted to be a great baseball player, the first dream was I want to win the World Little League World Series because when you I was ten and it was on TV. Remember, I mean, yeah, it's the coolest time of year. Yeah. It's the Little League World Series. I'm sorry, it still is the coolest time of year, and uh, it's the toughest. I gotta believe it's one of the toughest tournaments to win because if you really think about the big leagues, I mean, that's thirty teams. But you think about the Little League World Series, man. That's the whole world, man. It's, there's so many little team Little League teams trying to win that. And uh, we got real close. We got to it. And I think we ended up third in the whole Little League World Series. And wow. and uh, and to do it with my son, and he actually was, you know, the guy who kind of carried the team a little bit. Uh, he was awesome, man. It was just it was, it was, was just unbelievable. And Bo, little Bo was in the background. I got video of him. You know, he cried when we lost the game. He was about five, you know. And it was, uh, it was a cool experience. What do you think about the Rockies today? Uh, that's a that's a oh, tough wow. question. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer, um, but I didn't want it to go before that because it's they've been in so much turmoil. But um, two playoff seasons in a row, uh, really bad last year, and then now uh, they feel like they can do it. So what do you think about the, the, the current Rockies uh, briefly and, and, and how what their chances are? You know, I, I think, I, man, the Rockies are so unpredictable. Um, they've always been that way, and, and uh, you just there's no. I, I think the reason is is they're tr- they keep trying a different formula. You know, let's do pitching, let's do ground ball defenses. You know, listen, I think we were about as close. The first shot at it was about the was the right was the right formula. I'm with you. Get some big boppers in there, make it exciting. Have a good ball. Beat up people at home. Yep. Do the best you can on a road, but beat up people at home, and. Uh, that's where I'd like to see him go again, uh, you know. But like I said, they're just so unpredictable. Hopefully, they figure it all out. Nolan is happy. Uh, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, know you know they're, you know they're starting to use your pitching machine thing again. On the road. Yeah. 
And it's like, you know, way back when, I mean, Dante was doing this in 13, right, with you guys. Because he was <laughs> yeah, all about to get him to do that. Yeah. Actually, they got to do it at home because that's when they don't see the good breaking balls. Right, 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 right. Yeah, dude, they don't really need to bring it on the road, but that's a whole different <laughs> Any other questions before we go? I want to I want to bring in uh, Joey Joey uh, Joey is uh, is uh, the guy the reason why we're doing this here at the National Ballpark Museum uh, he is only in this and doing this job and doing this life because of you yeah so hey Dante hey how are you <laughs> um, yeah I just wanted to say thank you and I know I speak for a lot of fans uh, back in '95 I was eight years old and. You are the reason, not only I fell in love with baseball, but you're the reason why I've made a career out of baseball. So I just want to say thank you for everything that you have done. Wow, buddy, that's awesome to hear, man. And thank you because I'm old now, man, and I don't get that love very often. I appreciate that love right there. Well, I, I, I give it right back. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, next time you're in Denver, uh, along with Manny, we'll get you here in the museum because you're going you're gonna to love all this baseball stuff in here. But, oh, you uh, love this place. Yeah, so you'll go crazy. But right. really, thank you. Um, and I, like I said, I know I'm not the only fan to feel this way, but thank you for everything you have done. So, my, like I said, my life, my life would not be how it is today without you. So thank you. Wow, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. And uh, God bless you. <laughs> before before we let Dante go, any other questions? Dante, you're the best man. Thank you for taking time out. Thanks, Dante. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. Good times, and I hope you guys have many more. Yeah, appreciate it, man. And um, and uh, we'll be in touch, man. We're gonna try to get you out here and do something uh, in person. It'd be a lot of fun. Look forward to it. All right, man. Thank you. 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 Thank Obviously, want to thank everybody that came out to the National Baseball Museum and all of the people at the museum. You guys are absolutely fantastic. Uh, Shout-outs to everyone. Bruce, Rayleigh, Joey, Mariah, Stacy. thank you so much uh, for making it a fun event. Hoping to reach out to you more and more uh, as we you know, hope to highlight a lot of really cool things going on there for baseball fans that will be going on throughout the summer. So you'll be able to find me over there quite a bit this next year. And of course, Manny Rondawa for doing all of the legwork. As you heard, this was uh, basically his event. I had planned to jump in there some more, but hey, this was one of the easiest podcasts I've ever done. It was nice to just kind of uh, be a spectator as much as, as anything uh, for that. Uh, and hopefully we'll be doing more of these with other members of the Bombers, maybe even hopefully a panel with multiple guys on it. So we're, we're working on all kinds of stuff. Make sure you've got Manny's book. Be on the lookout for some cool stuff you're going to be able to get from us at DNVR at the Locker. So go over to the DNVRlocker.com and check out all of our cool sales and uh, just, man, we got hats, we got shirts, we got all kinds of cool stuff and even more headed your way. Thanks to everyone for hanging out and listening to this one, following us on social media, subscribing to the DNVR and all the podcasts, and just generally continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. This episode of the DNVR Rockies podcast was presented by Green Mountain Dental. 
Located in Lakewood, they're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro, and they're extreme Colorado sports fans just like all of us. Schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. Green Mountain Dental treats you like family. They're a longtime DNVR partner. They show us love, so you got to show them some love. They're only 15 minutes from downtown Denver, and the first step to taking care of your good health is taking care of your teeth. So get a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental and receive a free Sonicare toothbrush today.